One of the songs that we sang today opened with the words, In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without light. Often when we sing songs, we can sing right past those lyrics without really feeling them. What would it feel like to wait in darkness with no hope? It feels suffocating, lonely, debilitating. It can hurt or sometimes just feel numb, like you don't feel anything at all. Probably you know someone in your life right now, someone that you know and love that would describe their life as feeling like darkness is just surrounding them, swallowing them up with this overwhelming sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's not someone you know, maybe it's you. And the Gospel of John opens with John acknowledging that this world is full of darkness. He talks about it in chapter 1, but it's actually a theme that he brings up over and over again as we go through this series. It's going to keep coming up because it's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 3, it's in chapter 8, it's in chapter 9, it's in chapter 11, it's in chapter 12. And John's not just depressed, but he's, he's laying this as this foundation of showing this world is full of darkness, but that's, it's a backdrop for him to be able to describe the light that has come, the light that has dawned. If you're feeling that, if you're feeling the darkness in this world or in your own life, whether it's because of circumstances or, or evil or just hopelessness, hear these words. Open John's gospel and The fourth verse, he starts talking about light. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he's going to, in this prologue, the prologue's what we went through in in the month of December. He describes Christ as the eternal word who was with God and who was God, creator of all things. Then he uses this light imagery. He's using He's using language from the book of Genesis, creation and light and life and darkness. Then he comes back and talks about Christ using language from Exodus of tabernacle and glory. And in each of those sections, he brings up this witness, one who's going to testify. He, he, He says about John the Baptist, he says, he's not the light, but he was sent to bear witness about the light. And that's what we have in the rest of chapter 1. How was John the Baptist bearing witness about this light who has come into this world? This light that is shining in the darkness. And so we'll start reading in verse 19. And what we're going to see are four consecutive days. Four days of of John the Baptist announcing and and preparing for the ministry of Jesus and and announcing and and testifying and bearing witness to who Jesus is, the Jesus that you should know. Let's start reading in verse 19. Look at day one. This was John's testimony. He's speaking there of John the Baptist. 
This was John's testimony. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. Are you of the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. John the Baptist had begun to gather a crowd. It was starting to draw the attention of the religious leaders as he was baptizing not just Gentiles, but Jews. It was common in the day when, when Gentiles were converting into Judaism that they would ceremonially cleanse themselves. They would baptize themselves. But, but in John's case, John was the one doing the baptizing and he wasn't just baptizing Gentiles, he was baptizing Jews. It was this baptism of repentance, saying, it's not enough that I was born into God's family. This, this individual repentance as John is preparing the way for the Lord. But he's, he's gathering this attention. And so they're coming to him and they're saying, who are you? Why, on whose authority are you baptizing? And so John makes three denials first. He says, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not a prophet. Let's think about those briefly together. Messiah, uh, maybe your Bible translation you're looking at says, he says, I'm not the Christ. That's actually the Greek word here. It's Christos. It's, it's Christ. Christ is the, the Greek word for Messiah. And both of them mean the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name. It's, it's his title of the promised one. In, in the Old Testament, when, when someone was anointed for a task, to be king or to be prophet or priest, they, they were anointed. But yet there was also this Old Testament expectation that there was, there was a true Messiah who was going to come and deliver God's people. So there was this messianic anticipation. And they were asking him, are you the Messiah? And John says, no. And then they said, are you Elijah? Elijah, you might know, is a prophet in the Old Testament. And at the end of our Old Testament, the end of the book of Malachi, if you're reading, right, right there it says that there's, there's an Elijah who's going to come before the day of the Lord. And so again, this anticipation that Messiah was going to come, the day of the Lord was coming, and, and Elijah, this Elijah figure would, would be present and John was saying, no, I'm not Elijah. That might be confusing because other places, Jesus points to John the Baptist and says he is the one who's like Elijah. But John the Baptist here, he's maybe speaking literally, like I'm not the literal Elijah, I'm John. Or maybe in his humility, he didn't fully understand the task that God had for him and 
And so he's saying, no, I'm, I'm not that. But then Jesus says, actually, you are that one, that prophet like Elijah. But John says, no, I'm not. And then he said, are you the prophet? Because they had this expectation of the, the Deuteronomy 18, prophet like Moses who would come. Later, that, that title actually gets applied to, to Christ. And John says, no, I'm, not, I'm none of those things. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. So they're saying, who are you? And he quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. And he says, I am just a voice. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. If you go back to that passage in Isaiah, what's, what's going on there is God's people are in exile. They're away and they're, they're waiting for God to deliver them and to bring them back to the promised land. And there was this prophet who was announcing the Lord, Yahweh, is about to act. God is about to deliver his people from exile. We have all these different deliverances in the Old Testament. The Passover, the Exodus, and the exile as they were brought back from exile. And all of them are pointing toward this greater deliverance. This greater salvation that was to come. And here's what John the Baptist is doing. He's, he's pointing back to that and he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of that prophet. Because I'm here announcing the greater deliverance, saying, make straight the path of the Lord. In, in the Old Testament, they, they were saying, like, get ready, make the road, so that the, because God's about to bring his people back. And so get the road ready, prepare it. How is John the Baptist preparing for the way of the Lord? It's through this baptism of repentance. So what he's calling people to is, is repent, because Yahweh, once again, is about to act. The Messiah is about to arrive, about to be on public display. I'm announcing him. So, so he wasn't just saying, don't, don't focus on me, look at him. He, he was saying that, but he was saying more than that. He wasn't just saying, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. He was doing that. And so we look at John the Baptist and we can, we can see we should model our lives after him, that we must decrease, as we'll see later in John 3. Christ must increase. And so he is pointing to another, but he's also saying, this is who I am. I'm, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy that's announcing the Lord's arrival. So he says, I'm just a voice and so then they ask him, they're pressing him a little bit further. So then why are you baptizing? If you're, if you're just a voice, if you're, if you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. And so he says, I baptize with water. But now, now he's going to, to direct their attention away from him. He says, there is one who stands among you. I'm, he's, he's coming after me. He says, you don't know him. He's, he's the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. So the language that John the Baptist is using here is, is he's saying, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. So, so this one that I'm telling you about, he's not just my teacher. He's not just a little bit better than me. He's not just a, a, a little ahead of me. He's saying, I'm not even in the same 
game. I'm not even worthy to be compared to him. You guys are, you're focused on me and you're asking me these questions about who I am. But yet there is one among you and I'm not even worthy to touch his shoe. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. John the Baptist is aware that this Messiah is great. He alone is the one worthy of our worship. Okay, so then this next day, day two. Verse 29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. If you're reading the ESV, it says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Okay, so day one, they're asking John the Baptist who he is, and he's saying, I'm not the Messiah, but he's among us. And now day two, Jesus is walking by, and John points and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Lamb of God or Agnus Dei has, has become this very common and precious way for believers to think of Christ. I think three or four of the songs that we sang today referred to Christ as the Lamb. But this is actually the only place in all the Bible where the, the full phrase Lamb of God occurs. It, John, who wrote Revelation also, does mention Christ as the Lamb several times, but doesn't call him the Lamb of God there. But 28 times in Revelation, he refers to Christ as the Lamb who was slain or the, the conquering, victorious Lamb. So, so what's the, the Old Testament background? What would have triggered in people's minds who had Old Testament knowledge? I think there are three key passages that would be worth us thinking about today. One is Exodus 12, as we think about the Passover lamb. This was a celebration that the Jewish people remembered every year. The Passover, where God told them to sacrifice a lamb and to paint the blood on the doorposts and that the angel of death would then pass over that household, that that lamb would die in the place of that family. And then also you could think of the sacrificial system in Leviticus 14, the guilt offering uh, said to take a, an unblemished, a spotless male lamb and to sacrifice it as a guilt offering. And then even more specifically, how is this foreshadowing Christ who had come? Isaiah 53, I think, is the, the passage that talks about Christ as the man of sorrows, the suffering servant. And it says that he was led like a lamb to be slaughtered. So you've got this Old Testament concept 
of a lamb who would be sacrificed in the place of others. And a lamb who was spotless or sinless, uh, being sacrificed in place of someone else. But it's hard to know, did John the Baptist have this full concept in his mind that Jesus was going to come and, and die for the sins of the world? I don't know, because later it seems like John the Baptist, kind of like some of the other disciples, were, were missing that. And they were thinking of the Messiah coming more as, as victorious. And when some of the, the persecution was coming, and th then, then it seems like second-guessing. But, but for sure, God put these words into the mouth of John the Baptist. And, and whether he fully understood them or not, by the time the gospel here is written, the gospel of John, John would have known this is how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Lamb. Not just the victorious, conquering, apocalyptic Lamb, but the Lamb who would be slain. The Lamb who would suffer in our place for our sins, whose body would be broken, whose, whose blood would be poured out for our sins. And so John the Baptist speaks these words pointing to Christ, look, behold him, observe him, see him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, this is the one. This is the one, the one that I told you about when I said that he ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. This is the one that we've been waiting for, the one that I'm, I'm not even worthy to touch his shoe. And then John, there's an interesting phrase that pops up twice. John says, I didn't know him. And you, you might know that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And in a real communal society, it's, it's hard to imagine that, that John wouldn't have known his cousin, Jesus. So, so some have said, well, maybe what John is, is saying is, I didn't know, I didn't fully know that he was the Messiah. But I think actually it's possible he didn't know him at all. Because Luke 1, 80, Luke 1 verse 80 tells us that John the Baptist grew up and stayed in the desert, in the wilderness, until the time of his public appearance to Israel. And so if that's, that's the case that from from Real young, we don't know how young he went out there, but if, if from real young as a child, his parents put him out in this monastic group in the wilderness, and he did not then show up again in Israel until this public time when he's doing these baptisms, it's possible John the Baptist did not know Jesus. But the main point here, I think the reason why he's saying this is to show, I didn't choose him. I didn't pick him. God revealed this Messiah to me. How did God do that? God told John the Baptist, the one that you see the Holy Spirit descending on, this is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so John here, here and in the other Gospels, we see where John saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. And then he knew Jesus is the one then who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So what's, what's that? It's again this Old Testament promise of a new covenant that would come. This is in Ezekiel 36. That a new covenant was coming where I'm, God is going to put his spirit in his people. 
So, so how, is, how is John bearing witness to the light? Imagine people of Israel for years and decades and centuries waiting on God's promise. In the last 400 years of waiting in silence, waiting in a, a world that just feels like darkness, Many of God's people had turned away from him. There was a small remnant left, but many, many had turned to idolatry because it just seemed like God has forgotten. He's not fulfilling these promises, at least not how we thought. And so John is now in, in all of that waiting, in all of that darkness, in this dark world. He's, he's announcing, do you know what's here the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know who's here? This is the one. This is the one that we've been waiting for, the one that was promised that a new covenant would come, the one who is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit into the Holy Spirit. These are the promises that John is saying are being fulfilled in our presence right now. Okay, that's day two. Now day three, starting in verse 35, it says, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He says, come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ. He brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Okay, so on this third day, John says the same words. Likely different people were there with him. These two disciples. John had his own disciples, and these two disciples were there with him, and he says to them, Look, the Lamb of God. And they didn't wait to hear more. They left and they followed Jesus. They left John. They're not John's disciples anymore. Now they're, they're Jesus' disciples. And so they, they start following Jesus and he, Jesus turns and sees them and he says, what are you looking for? It's a word that's popping up several times. Same word of, of look or behold the Lamb of God. Jesus saying, what are you looking for? And they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? We want to we stay with you. We want to follow you. We want to be with you. We want to learn from you. And, and then immediately what you see is Andrew turns and says, I need to go find Simon. And so he comes to Simon. He says, come and see. He, he's, we found the Messiah. We have, we have found him. And so, so Simon, who later is called Peter, comes as well and follows Jesus. Jesus says, what are you searching for? What are you looking for? And then he says, come 
and you will see. What we're seeing here is when you encounter Christ, when you truly encounter him, he's, he's calling us to follow him. And then immediately when Andrew sees Christ, he wants to tell others, come, come, we found him. We found the Messiah. Okay, day four, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And he found Philip and he told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here are the words that Jesus uses to call his disciples to himself. He says, follow me. This shows up many other times in the other gospels as Jesus is calling people to follow him. It's this, it's this language that implies a path, that implies a journey. It implies saying, Jesus, I want to go where you're going. I want to learn from you. I want you to be my king. What you love, I want to love. What you hate, I want to hate. What you say, I want to do. Jesus, I'm turning away from everything else. I'm, I'm wholly putting all of my trust on you. I'm trusting in you. I'm following you. Where you lead, I want to go. That's what Jesus is calling you to as well. And so when Philip started following Jesus, immediately what did he do? He goes and gets Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's a little bit skeptical. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But as Jesus starts to speak to Nathaniel, you see this switch flip. Nathaniel says, how do you, how do you know me? Jesus had said to him, you're, you're a true Israelite. In you there is no deceit. Later, he says to Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven opened up and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Both of these are, are pointing back to this passage in Genesis 28 with Jacob, where Jacob sees this vision of God and, and Jesus, the full fulfillment of those things as well. But as he speaks to Nathaniel, there's, there's something about the knowledge that Jesus has and the way that he speaks and what he says. We don't even know all of what he's saying. I saw you under the fig tree. But, but Nathaniel knew Jesus should not have been able to know these things because when, when he saw the kind of knowledge that Jesus has, immediately he went from being skeptical to saying, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
As Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, he's, he's pointing to his humanity. But we'll see this more in, in depth as we go through the Gospel of John. But that title, son of man, for those who know the Old Testament, is also a way of describing his deity. As it points back to a passage in Daniel 7 where one like a son of man, riding on the clouds. So according to John 1, who is the Jesus you should know? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one the Holy Spirit has descended upon. He is the one who is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. He is God's chosen one. He is the true rabbi, the true teacher. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He is the one that Moses and the prophets all were writing about. He is the true King of Israel. He is the Son of Man. He is the Word who exists Existed from the beginning, who is eternal, who was with God, and yet who is himself fully God. He is the one who is the creator of everything that exists. He is your creator. He is the word who was made flesh and lived among us. And we have seen, we beheld his glory. This is who Jesus is. So how then do we respond to him? There are three ways that come clearly out of this text. We behold him, we follow him, and we testify about him. The word behold or see or look shows up over and over again in John's gospel. This isn't even all of them that are in this first chapter, but but let's just scan through some of them. We have seen his glory. Look, the Lamb of God. I saw the Spirit, the one you see the Spirit descending on. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Look, the Lamb of God. What are you looking for? Come and you'll see. Come and see. You will see greater things than this. You will see heaven open. This is what we're called to do first, is to see Christ to look, to behold him. How do we do that? We don't see him physically. Now we see him in his word. And so I'd invite you to, to read along with us in the gospel of John and pray, as, as Joe talked about, that our eyes would be opened, that we would see Christ, that we would observe him, that we would savor him, that we would treasure him, that we would see what he is like, what his character is like, that we would see who he is. How does God's word describe him? that we would behold Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't know him. You're not, you're not trusting in him. You're not sure what to trust. This would be a step for you. Come back these next 11 weeks as we go through the Jesus that you should know and ask God, God, help me to know what's true. Help me to know what's true about Christ and to see it. And then it's not just to see him, but to follow him. Jesus says, follow me. Has there been that time in your life where you said, I'm turning away from living my own life and going my own way, my own path, and I'm wanting to follow Jesus, trusting that his way is best, trusting that what he says, that's what I want to do. I'm I'm not holding anything back. I'm fully surrendered to following him. 
But it's not just this one-time decision. It's a daily decision to, to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, and say, Jesus, your way's better. Your knowledge is better. Your truth is better. I want to follow you. And when we do, when you have that kind of an encounter with Christ, just like John the Baptist, just like Andrew, just like Philip, you will testify. Like that cousin or uncle or family member over Christmas that just kept talking to you about his new diet, only eating meat or whatever it is. That they're just, when someone finds something that they think, this is, this is life, this is going to change my life, this is going to change everything now, I'm going to start dipping myself in ice cold water or whatever it is that you find something that you love and you just think, this, this is going to fix it, then you want to tell people about it in such a greater way. And you have that kind of understanding of who Christ is. You want to say to people, come and see this is the one, you might not even have known it, but this is the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been searching for, the light that can shine into your dark life. Who is in your life right now that God may be prompting you to come alongside and say, come, come and see, come hear this series, or, or maybe it's not come to church, maybe it's, hey, let's go out to coffee and read the Gospel of John together. You ever read it? You ever seen him? When we behold Christ, when we follow him, he moves us to overflow as we testify about Christ because we have seen his glory. Let's pray.